Welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast, which helps you navigate this fast-changing world by bringing you ideas, information, interviews, and insights for being fit for the future. Here's your host, Gihan Pereira. Welcome to the podcast. The first thing you might have noticed is that there's a name change. This is now the Fit for the Future podcast. Fit for the Future is the title of my main keynote presentation, and it's a thread that runs through everything that I do in my business. It's about helping you, your team, and your organization become fit for the future. So I thought that Fit for the Future is quite an appropriate name for this podcast, especially at the start of a new financial year and start with a new name. But everything else is still going to be the same, same high-value content, the same quality of interview guests, and I hope the same take-home value that you get from each episode. And that's not the only thing that's changed. In Australia, it's the start of a new financial year, and many businesses are setting goals and plans for the new year, and it's quite a challenging time for many businesses. There's a lot of uncertainty around in the external environment. So we've just had a recent federal election in Australia, and at the time I'm recording this, we still don't know what the composition of government is. Uh, In the UK, we've had the Brexit vote, which affects the UK, Europe, and a lot of the world, and there's a presidential election coming up in the USA later in the year. But these are all external factors, and we can't control them. So as important as they are, if you're setting plans for the new financial year, put those issues aside for the moment. They do affect you, but they're outside your control. So let's focus on the things that you can control. And today, I want to talk about your positioning. Your positioning matters. And especially at the start of this new financial year, if you're thinking about launching a new product or a new service into the marketplace, then your positioning has a huge impact on your success. Now, if you've already got a strong positioning with your current market, then congratulations, you're off to a head start. But if you don't, it's okay. It's not a disaster. But I suggest you work on your positioning first so that everything else becomes easier. So let me explain what I mean when I say positioning. I'm talking about how your ideal customers and clients view their relationship with you. And it's in the context of a particular product or service that you're offering to them. Now, this is not the same as your brand. It's related, but it's not the same. I'm talking about the relationship you have with your ideal customers and clients. For example, I remember when I was a kid, my parents told me that when they went to school, their teachers were seen as authorities. Anything they said was taken as true without question. In fact, one of my dad's friends said to me that if one of the teachers held up a piece of white paper and said, this is black, then they would accept that. So they were surprised when I came back from school one day and I told them that one of my teachers was actually encouraging us to be sceptical and curious and even openly challenge him on the sort of things that he was saying. So in their day, teachers were trusted authorities, and now they are authorities to some extent, but even less so. And as there are more opportunities now for learning outside school, the idea of teacher as authority has been whittled down even further. And that's what I mean by positioning. So each teacher has their own brand or style of teaching, but they also had the positioning of trusted authority for their students. So what's your positioning with your market? So think of your positioning with your ideal customers and clients as being at one of six levels. So let let me talk about those six levels from the lowest to the highest. So number one is proprietor. So this is the lowest level. You're just a business owner. Your market might not even know you exist. Uh, Or if you're launching a new product or service to an existing market, they might not know that it exists. So either way, you're pretty much unknown. Number two is promoter. So this is the next level where you actively promote the product or service so your market knows about it. But in most cases, you're just one of many promoters that are in their face at the time. So it's not easy to get noticed. And it's even harder to get picked. So even though you have something of value, you're still considered pushy. 
Number three is supplier. So this is when you do get picked. Then you become a supplier. And sometimes you can even become a preferred supplier. Assuming you do a good job, you become liked and you continue to get work. Number four is expert. So even if you do become a preferred supplier, you might lose work to somebody else who comes along with a better offering or your customer's circumstances change, so they pick somebody else instead. That's why it's better to be positioned as an expert where you're recognized as somebody who works with your clients, not just for them. Number five is authority. And until very recently, even up to say five years ago, expertise used to be enough. And I used to tell everyone, you need to become an, a recognized expert and that will give you a head start and position you differently. But now there's so much expert information available online that you can be displaced by another expert. So the next level is to be an authority. We are trusted. You're trusted to provide advice, not just share expertise. And number six is partner. So finally, this is the top level where you reach the level of partner, where you genuinely work side by side with your customers and clients as their equals. And just as with your life partner or your formal business partners, if you're in some sort of legal partnership with them, your customers do see you as equal to them. So those are the six levels. An unknown proprietor, a pushy promoter, a liked supplier, a recognized expert, a trusted authority, or an equal partner. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those levels, but the higher the level, the more leverage you have. The first three levels, proprietor, promoter, and supplier, they're the weakest. You have to work harder to get business. In fact, you have to push. These are the push levels because you're constantly pushing yourself, pushing your products, pushing your services to your market. Even when you're a supplier, you have to keep working at the relationship to ensure that you don't get crowded out by somebody else. The other three levels, expert, authority and partner, are more powerful because a business starts coming to you. They're pull levels because your positioning naturally attracts people to you. So think of it like rolling a big boulder up a steep hill. So it starts off as a hard slog it, and it gets a bit easier as you gain momentum and then you reach the peak and then you start going downhill and the downhill ride is much easier and it gets easier and easier as you go because gravity builds even more momentum on the other side. So think about where you fit right now because your positioning does change over time because remember it depends on three things. So you, your product or service and your market. So you might already be a trusted authority with one product in one market, but if you switch to a different market or to a different product, you might be going right back to being an unknown proprietor. So think about a new product or service that you're planning to launch and ask yourself honestly about your positioning. If you're not already at the top three levels, that's expert, authority or partner, then start working on that right now. And I want to introduce you to Zoe Palmer, who's my guest on this episode. She's the founder of Brand Chemistry, and she works in branding and particularly works with professional service firms and tech companies. And these businesses rely on strong positioning. And Zoe talks about what she calls the halo effect. I really want to share this with you because it's exactly related to uh, what I've been talking about with positioning. Hello, this is Gihan Pereira, and today I'm speaking with Zoe Palmer. Zoe Palmer is a brand consultant. She runs a business called Brand Chemistry, which she's been running for the for the last 10 years. And she works with a number of leaders, uh, professional service firms, technology companies, and she helps them with their brand to understand the audience, find their unique point of value, and then to communicate it across many, many different channels. And I'm really interested to speak with her today about her concept called the halo effect. And any business that wants to be fit for the future needs to understand this. So welcome, Zoe. How are you going? Thanks, Gihan. Really well, thanks. Nice to talk to you. 
Yeah, thank you very much. So, uh, as I said, I, like you've been doing this for 20 years and uh, you've been running brand chemistry for the last 10 years. What's changed in marketing? Oh, gosh, everything has changed in marketing and branding, Gihan. So the way people go about, you know, looking for, for products and services and looking for value in businesses has completely changed because now the consumer really owns the experience. So it, it kind of used to be that, that they relied on salespeople to give them the information that they needed and and a salesperson was maybe the only person they could connect with to get any information. However, these days people can now search, you know, social media sites, websites, pretty much any source to gather all the information they need about businesses and they are really almost, I guess, overwhelmed with content, um, which really means that, you know, as, as businesses and as leaders we need to be really specific and relevant, I guess, in our content and provide lots of value in order to cut, to cut through the noise. Okay, so how do you cut through the noise and how is it related to what you call the halo effect? Well, I guess in business terms, the halo effect is really kind of synonymous with the idea of brand equity. And, and basically what that means is that, that brands build equity from being highly relevant and valuable to a particular audience via a product or a service. And as soon as uh, brands kind of develop that trust with the audience, um, the audience kind of believes that that brand is capable of doing other things well as well. And this is what we call the halo effect. It's the ability, the ability of a brand to shine the light on other areas that it maybe didn't break into previously so that uh, they can use the trust already generated in the brand to diversify. Um, And a good example of this might be, for example, Apple's iPod. When uh, Apple first released the iPod, they certainly weren't doing as well as they are these days. You'll probably remember Gihan. And uh, once the iPod was released, then their computer and software and service sales really dramatically increased as well. You'll know as well um, that car companies use this kind of strategy as well. They might release a halo car, which drives foot traffic into their premises and also creates that kind of positive association with with other models as well. So it's been used quite considerably, I think, with brands and products. But what we're finding now, I think, is that leaders can use the halo effect as well to position themselves as an expert in a particular area. And and this is an area of the halo effect that perhaps isn't so capitalised on. Um, And we're really interested in the impact on, on professional service firms or just leaders in any industry, in fact, because it gives you really this opportunity to build influence in a particular area and position yourself really nicely in a particular area and then use that equity that you've built in your expertise to actually diversify into other areas or to positively influence consumer perception of your organisation and brand. Okay, and that's quite a different approach to business than in the past, isn't it, Zoe? Because in the past, if you're working for an organization or even if you were the, a business owner at a partner in a professional service firm, it's not so much yourself and your authority that you want to position, but you want to position the, the brand or the, the, the partnership or the name of the firm. And it's, it's that service that's been the primary positioning. Whereas I think what you're talking about, the halo effect for, for a business leader or for an expert is themselves. Yes, you're absolutely right. And I think there, there's still obviously the need to brand a company and its services. 
But I think that companies can gain a whole lot more traction and uh, awareness in the marketplace by investing in their people as experts as well. And it enables also companies to potentially launch in a particular niche area where they haven't perhaps been known before much more easily. Um, it enables companies, I guess, to build a bit of a brand presence in those areas much more quickly than they could do otherwise. Okay, and I'm sure that some people would um, embrace the idea and love the idea of being seen as an expert, but there are probably some others who, who don't, and maybe they cringe at that idea of being known as an expert. So are there different kinds of experts, and, uh, and how do you decide whether you're willing to position yourself as one of them? Yeah, that's a great question, Gihan, because, you know, I guess the most famous of the experts that might spring to mind for us would be the kind of global superstars, so the people we'd most want on a desert island like Tony Robbins or Seth Godin. Um, but we're not all superstar speakers and, um, and many of us are actually a bit fearful of the idea of going there as well. But, you know, it's important to understand that not all known experts operate at this level and certainly no one begins here. So I think, you know, if you look at some of the experts that might be available in your local area to facilitate a workshop or book for a keynote, um, you know, some people that spring to mind for me, for example, would be Susie Duffness. And, you know, she hosts the Her Business podcast. She's a successful international entrepreneur in her own right, but She's really well known here in Australia for um, entrepreneurial thought leadership and she champions women in business. And so we'd probably call her an industry expert as opposed to, you know, a global superstar. And, um, you know, there's others as well. You know, Colin James uh, springs to mind, for example, around communication and, and leadership communication in particular. So, um, so you know, you can become an, an industry expert, but even perhaps – the starting point for many people is is zooming into their own kind of office when people come to your desk to ask you a particular question about something and and suddenly you know you realize that actually you're a bit of an internal expert about a particular topic and that's usually where known experts start Okay, and it's interesting that the examples that you gave were people who were speakers or podcasters or they, they seem to have this big public profile. Is that an essential part of becoming a, being known as an expert or is it that anyone can do it in some, like in a, at a smaller scale and without having to be um, that brand that's a public brand? Yeah, absolutely. I think we can be, I think it really depends on how far you want to take it. So if you simply want to be an internal expert, um, and there are many, you know, people that we can think of who are like this, who perhaps don't want to take on a, a massive team and manage people, but rather become a specialist in a particular knowledge area. Um, that's a, a huge opportunity to progress yourself and in terms of your knowledge and your expertise and also your positioning within the company. Um, but also help the company to gather some creds in a particular area as well. And, you know, we can't all of us be international speakers for sure, um, but, you know, we can definitely own a certain piece of expertise and that expertise can have the halo effect on, you know, your own career. It can have a halo effect on your teams within an organisation. It can have a halo effect on the organisation as a whole. And so you can do that really from your desk. 
Okay, and uh, I was just thinking that as you were speaking, Zoe, that it seems that the whole idea of the halo effect is that you're not trying to build your own business completely separate from the business that you're working in or the firm that you're working in. You're positioning yourself as an expert and that will then um, have a flow-on effect to the rest of your organisation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so usually the, the place where you'd find um, that particular expertise would be somewhere where your passion and expertise crosses over with something the company is really good at or is relevant to the audience that your company serves. So yeah, you're absolutely right there, Gihan. Okay, so say that again. So it's where your passion and what you're really good at overlap. Yeah, I Tell me a bit say- more. Sorry, if you, if you think about an area, for example, that you're really, really passionate about and you've turned out to be really quite good at this area and there's also an area that your com- it's a, also an area where your company could naturally diversify into and I, I can think of a great example of this actually. I've got uh, a close friend of mine and her name is Cindy Lenferda. And she used to head up a division of um, a, an Australian technology and services company. And one of her great traits in that business was that she would be able to kind of find the leader within the client organization that was responsible for any digital change. And if the leader that she found was not kind of capable of making those key decisions, she would move up the chain or across the chain until she found that change agent within the organisation. And as a result of that, she always got great success in the delivery of her digital projects. And more recently, that that particular business has moved um, to actually launch a department of digital transformation and made her the head of that department. And it's all really down to the fact that that was her natural talent. It was her passion, but it was also a parallel, you know, industry that, that that business could naturally grow into. Okay, so that's great. So I can just imagine that if you're looking for your halo to start with, that's a really good place to start. So it's got to be something that you're interested in and it's got to be something that's relevant for the for the company, the organization you work for. And where those two things overlap, that's a good place to start. Yes. So let's say you found your halo that way. What do you do next? Well, I would polish it to be fair. <laughs> so once you've found that kind of piece of knowledge that you can really valuably, valuably share with colleagues and, you know, if you want to with clients as well, then the first focus should really be on education. So refining your knowledge and carving it into really usable and digestible formats. I think Matt Church calls them bumper stickers. Is that right? Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. And so you start to then underpin your bumper stickers with the kinds of evidence and cases and stories that are really compelling so that people really have no choice but to believe in what you're saying and to follow you and, and they really want to work with you. Um, and and the way I guess to capitalise on that as well is to continue to talk to lots of people in that particular area, share your expertise, get their views on things, offer to consult on client jobs in your organisation that maybe involve an element of your new found expertise and pretty soon you'll start hearing people internally and externally say, oh, you know, you have to speak to Sarah about that. She really knows her stuff. Um, and once then you've developed a bit of an inner circle, you know, that trusts, trusts your abilities, you can then start to build some brand equity. Could take a little bit of time. Um, but the more credibility you hold in this space and the more runs you've got on the board, then obviously the greater your halo effect can be.
And I like, Joey, that you're starting off by saying you don't have to start big. You don't have to launch a big website. You don't have to have a big marketing campaign. You don't have to get on TV and be interviewed straight away. You can start small. You can absolutely start small. And to be honest, I think, you know, there are a lot of people that are scared of even, you know, radio or podcast interviews such as this or mm. Or, you know, actually being on TV or being the face um, and are much more comfortable, for example, behind a desk. And for those people, there are some great opportunities these days. For example, LinkedIn posting is a great way of developing your credibility because you have a relevant network of prospects and partners, a really easy way to publish even without a database and get your message out there. And, and also now you can choose industry categories on LinkedIn, which means you can post under those, for example, marketing or leadership. And then um, anyone that's, that has, you know, that are, anyone that's in that area can actually see your posts and start following you without even being in your immediate network. So it's just a great way to expand your reach if you're not, you know, up for the more um, spoken mode, I suppose. Yeah, great. And I've heard people talk about this as being an internal thought leader or an entrepreneur. Is this the same sort of idea, Zoe, or is there something different when you're kind of building up your, polishing your halo and becoming known as a known expert? Yeah, it's been a long time, actually, since I've looked into the term entrepreneur. It's probably been seven or eight years since I've heard that term, but I think it probably is very similar to that, um, except for the fact that I feel like the difference might be that entrepreneurs are kind of more likely to launch a separate business unit whereas in right. internal experts don't necessarily have to do that sometimes it leads to that um, but more often than not it's really about having that level of expertise that that uh, people trust and and therefore come to you know that person to talk you know to ask any questions about that particular topic Okay, great. And it's, it seems like you're saying that you can definitely start as an internal expert before you become an industry expert or what do you call it, global superstar. Yeah. Um, but let's say you start as an internal expert. What's the next step if you want to then broaden it? Yeah, sure. So I guess once you've built that expertise and that visibility, um, then the next step and you've strengthened that and, and you've got some runs on the board. So the next step would, once you've actually strengthened your expertise, in that particular area would be to potentially refine your comm skills, uh, especially if you want to take your expertise to the industry level, which is definitely more external. Um, then you'd need to think about potentially running some webinars or facilitating some workshops or potentially delivering the keynote. Um, and uh, also, I guess the aim at that point is that you've really got to become a teacher. You've got to help people to understand your area in really simple language. And you can either do this yourself or you can get the help you need. Perhaps there's marketing within the organization that is willing to commit some resources to you. Um, or there might be some professional services marketing agencies that can help you do that as well. And you probably want to promote some of your message via social media um, and digital methods as well. Okay, so is this something that everyone should be considering, Zoe? Or are there, are there particular people within an organisation who should be considering, I, I should be an internal expert and then maybe an industry expert? So I don't think there is a particular role type or a particular personality type. 
um, that fits into this process. I think everybody has some kind of expert knowledge developed throughout their career and throughout their specific set of experiences. Um, and I guess the process of becoming a, a known expert and an industry expert and then a, a global superstar is just a process. So uh, you can choose how far you want to take it and um, and you'll basically, you know, see the impact of that on either your performance or your team's performance or if you want to take it further, your company's performance. And, you know, in many cases, some businesses really start relying on their in industry experts for sales. So um, David Meerman Scott, for example, has built his whole career around this. So I don't think it's really for a particular type of person. I don't I think we all think that these known experts are kind of the braver or smarter people than us. Um, but I think that everybody has that that special gem of knowledge and you can take it really as far as you want to take it. Well, especially the way that you've described it, Zoe. So it seemed to me when you first started talking about global superstars, it seemed like those were the people who were the extroverted, brash, open, happy to be <laughs> in the limelight people. And yet what you're saying is that you can start as an internal expert and that can be the quiet, introverted um, knowledge expert or um, the, the person with the expertise, but who doesn't want to be uh, in this in the spotlight but can start that way and the, and yet they can grow i think you know there are many people gihan that you and i will know um myself included that are less than comfortable <laughs> with it's delivering keynotes or you know those kinds of modes of delivery however i think the thing is that you you just do it in small steps. And, you know, for me, I've had to facilitate brand workshops now for 20 years and there's very little difference now for me to facilitate a brand workshop for four people and delivering a workshop for 20 people and then most recently delivering a keynote, you know, at, at a much larger conference. And so I think you can start small. You can just write if that's all you want to do. Or you can just start to practice different modes of delivery. And I truly believe that that kind of practice makes you more uh, comfortable with each stage. And also, I would say, the better you know your topic and the more comfortable you are in the topic, then the more naturally that is all going to come to you. Okay, great, great. And if you're a leader within an organization, uh, I mean, obviously, there's an opportunity for you to become an expert yourself. Um, but what about if you can see some people in your team who you think perhaps could be with a little bit of a push and a prod, they could become internal experts to start with? Uh, do you approach them or do you wait for them? I the would definitely ready? approach them. If, if your organization is the kind of organization that would enable uh, the kind of commitment and resources for that person to do their day job as well as become this kind of expert. And I say that because it's an important thing to realise. It does take some commitment of time and some focus. So it does mean that, you know, that, that person's role might have to be reduced slightly in other areas in order to make way for this as a serious proposition. But I think if the company and you as a leader uh, are willing to commit the time and resources into helping this person become an expert, I think it will pay dividends to both that person as, as being loyal to your company as well as the kinds of, you know, revenues and reputation that that person can deliver to you as a business. 
Okay, great. And actually, there, I've got another question, but I probably should have asked this one before the the other one. Um, how do you identify people who you might see? Oh, this person, you know, Zoe could be an internal expert if she's given the encouragement and the support, um, and so and so isn't. I think it's really obvious when you have one particular person that everybody goes to to ask a question. And I know, you know, we have this in our business. For example, we have one person that's really excellent at working out and engineering all of the logic in our HubSpot platform for some of our, you know, content and inbound marketing. And, um, you know, when the, when the other account managers are setting up their nurture streams, this is the girl that they go to to ask their questions and get her to QA and check and, and train them further. So I think every leader knows exactly which area their people are really strong in and also I guess it's a it's a leadership um, prerequisite to be very clear on what your industry trends uh, are and, and where the industry is going and what opportunities are around the corner for you so anywhere that your people you know are in terms of their expertise that could potentially progress you as a department or you as a leader or the organization or that particular person is a, a great opportunity to go down this road. Yeah, great. Um, you give me some really practical tips, Zoe, and really practical techniques for someone to get started. Just in your experience, because you've had so much experience in this, what gets in the way? So if there are people who, leaders who are really willing to do this, and the individuals in the team who are also really willing to do this, and they either step up themselves or they're asked to by their leader or manager. So everyone's kind of on the on the same track, and they have the best of intent. What gets in the way? Uh, the biggest thing is time. It's always the crux. So uh, okay. you'll know this as well, that, that client work will always expand to fill the space. So <laughs> when you are, you know, <laughs> trying to develop and innovate, it feels like a luxury. And when the business is very busy delivering to clients or customers and it's all hands on deck, this is the one thing that will always go by the wayside. So it's really important to make sure that there's a proper structure in the team that picks up the work that perhaps that particular expert might leave behind. Um, and the other blocker to this, I think, is um, maybe organizations that are a little bit nervous about investing in a particular person as opposed to their own company brand for fear that they might move on and leave the organization or, or perhaps even compete with them in the long term. And so I think it's really important to think through um, you know, who you choose for this kind of position and ensure that it, it would be somebody who would be with you for the long term and also, um, you know, is in a position or perhaps potentially is really loyal to the business and, and really shares that vision of, of growing a particular area together. Yeah, brilliant, Zoe. I mean, I love the fact that you've that you've been so practical with this. You started with big picture, and you've got to really practical steps. Uh, I'm sure there's some people who'd want some help from you. So, what sort of services do you offer to help people um, build up their their known experts within the organisation? We Brand Chemistry is a, a brand messaging and content marketing agency. So, um, by our very nature, we kind of help people and companies find their halo, find that distinct proposition that they can take to market and, and find their unique expertise. And then we help them with branded content to actually get the message out there. Um, and we've been working, I think you, you may have said um, earlier, with um, B2B technology and professional services companies for 10 years now. And if people want to get in touch with us, they can simply go to our website, which is brandchemistry.com.au. 
Um, any last, any padding words, Zoe? Becoming a known expert is is not for people that are smarter or braver than you. And everybody has a special something. I just think it's about finding and polishing and positioning your halo as a process. And this can have a really positive impact on your own career, on that of your team and also that of your organisation. Thanks, Leanne. Thanks so much. So I hope you noticed that Zoe's halo effect is all about positioning. It's about becoming a recognized expert or a trusted authority. And that's incredibly important for your marketing, especially when your business is based on selling your expertise. Before I finish up, I want to tell you about a one-day masterclass that I've got coming up. And it's related to positioning, because one of the best ways to position yourself as a trusted authority is to publish a book about your expertise. Being an author gives you instant credibility, and it does position you as an authority. Now, you have to write a good book, because there are a lot of bad books out there, but writing a good book does give you real authority. I I don't think it's a coincidence that the word authority starts with author. So you can use your book as a high-value gift, it boosts your reputation with the media, and helps you get more speaking engagements, workshops coaching, mentoring and consulting if that's what you do. And even if it's not, it just helps you get more business because customers and clients like to know that they're engaging authorities and experts and your book demonstrates your expertise. It positions you first as an expert and then as an authority. Now you might already know this but you don't know how to write a book. You've got great ideas, you know you've got a book inside of you, you know how valuable a book can be for your business but you just don't know how to do it. And that's why I'm running a one-day masterclass called Fast Track Your Book. So in this program I'm going to take you through the process of writing a book, how to set up your structure, how to lay it out and all the other stuff like cover design, ISBN, barcodes, how to get illustrations done. I'll give you access to all the supplies that I use myself to save you a whole bunch of time and money in trying to find the right people to do the work for you. I'll help you answer questions like, you know, how do you get testimonials for the book before it's written? Um, How do you get people to review it? And so on. So you'll walk out with a detailed outline for your book. You'll know how to fill in the content for your book and you'll have a realistic action plan for getting it done. So if you're interested in that, come along to the masterclass that I'm running. I'm doing it twice, in Sydney on Friday the 5th of August, and in Melbourne on Friday the 23rd of September. Please register now. You can go to fasttrackyourbook.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found something valuable for your personal and your professional life that will help you become fit for the future. And if you did get some value from it, I'd really appreciate it if you could do me a favor and give me a review and a rating on iTunes because that helps promote it to other people as well. And if you want me to share ideas like this at your next conference, then check out my speaking at gihanspeaks.com, G-I-H-A-N. S-P-E-A-K-S dot com. And if you want to engage with me in other ways, uh, go to GihanPerera dot com, G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. And there you can find my blog, my newsletter, podcast, videos, and my webinar series. They're all free and they're all designed to help you become fit for the future. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. For show notes, past episodes, and more, visit gihanperera.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.